Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is great to see you this morning. Park Blast! Ah, we missed it last year, but we're not going to miss it this year no matter what's happening. We're going to do Park Blast. I'm excited about it. It's great to celebrate a baptism with you, too, uh, on Sunday morning. Little did Nick know that that is the topic for today. So would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. We are still in this series. It might not seem like it because we're turning to Matthew and not Revelation, but today we're going to land the plane in the series that we're calling Letters from Jesus. In the book of Revelation, Jesus wrote seven letters to seven unique uh, churches, seven churches with uh, different unique styles and situations and demographics in their church, and he wrote them because they needed to know things in their church. And those seven churches, uh, types of churches at least, have existed throughout human history, throughout the church age. We have the same types of seven churches that exist today. And just so, as a way of reminder, maybe if you missed a day or a week or <laughs> the last two months, just to remind you where, where we've been, we studied the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus, and that was go back to your first love. Things started out great. Jesus was your focus. As a matter of fact, still in Ephesus, you're operationally great things are going well, but you just left one thing behind, <laughs> your first love, Jesus. So go back to your first love. Let him, let him back into your focus. And then it was the church in Smyrna. Don't fear. Don't fear about dying because you're going to have heaven once you die. And then we got to Pergamum. Pergamum was was all about you're headed in a direction that you shouldn't go. You need to stop and you need to go back. That's the word repent. Go back turn around and go back and do the things that you did at first. And then we got to Thyatira. Thyatira was allowing the outside culture influence the doctrine and the theology on the inside. And Jesus says, hey, stop being so tolerant of the things that are outside. You're not, you're not outside, you're in here. And in here we allow the Bible to direct us. The Bible gives us our doctrine and our theology. And because you're allowing the outside in, it's dividing the church, it's splitting up the church. Stop it, be more intolerant. And when we got to the church in Sardis, you're asleep spiritually, you better wait wake up spiritually or else you're going to get spiritually attacked and they were and then we got to philadelphia jesus couldn't find one thing wrong with the church in philadelphia they were doing everything great they had great ministry they had great outreach they had great evangelism they uh, were sending out missionaries they were teaching their church the, the bible and he says hold on it's gonna get worse not better it's gonna get more difficult not easier you're gonna find more reasons not to do ministry tomorrow than you did yesterday hold on continue on doing what you were doing and then last week we got to the church in Laodicea that was the one where Jesus says open the door and all of these churches have different uh, characteristics different styles uh, various unique things about themselves different demographics different people in their church there were some wealthy churches and some poor churches there were some uh, churches that were very deep spiritually and some that were very shallow spiritually and then there were some that were faithful and honoring to, to Jesus Christ in their church. And then there were some, like, like Laodicea, that they weren't even Christians in the church. And that's why Jesus says to Laodicea, let me in. You're at Jesus' church in Laodicea, and yet Jesus isn't even there. You're in a worship service, and you're not worshiping Jesus because Jesus is still in the parking lot. you got to let me in. And so this is written to seven different uh, types of churches that have existed throughout human history. Now, fortunately, that letter written to Laodicea wasn't written to, to Grace Community Church. You kind of wonder, what would Jesus write to, to Grace Community Church in Riverside? And that's the topic for today. What would Jesus say to all of churches throughout human history? Uh, the, these, what we've read, are... Uh, issues that were in a church. What would Jesus say to all of the churches in unity, what all the churches should do? Well, we don't have to wonder that. And Jesus did communicate directly what he wanted Christians, churches, to do throughout the church age. And so that's why I've asked you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the uh, book of Matthew chapter 28 and, and verse 18. This is Jesus' final instructions to Christians before he leaves planet earth. He has already uh, lived on earth. He has been, uh, he's been killed 
uh, on the cross. He has been buried. He is raised from the grave, proving that he is God. He has been seen by hundreds and hundreds of people by this point in time. And now he is with his closest followers. He's with his apostles. He's with the ones who are going to launch this entire thing called the church. They're going to be the ones that spread Christianity all around the world. They're the ones that are going to write letters to all of the churches that they start. That's going to be canonized in scripture for all of eternity that we're going to read what they wrote. And so he gives them some instructions. And so, Matthew 28, verse 18, this is what it says. He says, as he spoke to them, them are the apostles, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have the authority. (laughs) I have all the authority, so you listen to what I say, what I want you to do. And this is what he wanted these people to do. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The one thing that Jesus tells all churches to do is to make disciples. And that's what he would tell Grace Community Church in Riverside, is to make disciples. You know that term, disciples, follower of Jesus, to make followers of Jesus. Now, sometimes this passage is misread or misunderstood to to read go therefore and make christians all around the world but see we can't do that right we can't make christians that is a miracle that only god can do we can't make christians god is the one who makes christians but christians make disciples that's the process god is the one who makes a christian But then when Christians gather together, like we are today, like we are at Grace Community Church in Riverside, Christians then make disciples. Now, this should take the pressure off of you, because you don't have to save anybody that you know. You don't have to save your teenager. You don't have to force them to be born again. You don't have to save your family members. You don't have to save the, the, the people at your work. You don't have to save them. I know you want them to be saved. I know you hope that they would be saved. I know you wish you could grab them and shake born-againness into them, but you can't, so this should take the pressure off. Now, this does not take the pressure off of you to evangelize, okay? So sometimes it's saying, well, I mean, if I can't save them, I mean, why do I even need to do anything? Well, I hope you do feel guilty that you should go and tell people what you know about Jesus. I hope you do feel a little pressured that last week you missed your opportunity at lunch break with your coworker, but this next week you can still do it. I hope you feel a little guilty and you remember it and so you would go do it. This doesn't take the pressure off us to, to tell people what we know about Jesus, about Jesus being God in the flesh, that he is the savior come to earth, that he, he died on the cross for my sin, he paid the price that I owe and that's a good thing because I owe such a high price, the only price that I could pay it with is eternity in hell and I don't want to do that And so somebody from the outside has to step in, and that is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for sin. He rose from the grave, proving that he is God, and he can wash away sin. So I hope you don't feel feel like the pressure is relieved from you, that you are the one to share what you know about Jesus. But you aren't the one to make a Christian. That's a miracle of God. That's why we praise God when it happens, not the person who led us to Jesus, because it is God is the one who does that saving work inside of our heart. However, once a person is a Christian, Christians make disciples, and Jesus gives a two-step process for making a disciple. He says, go therefore into, uh, I'll go therefore into all the world. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That's the first way. And secondly, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's a two-step process. Baptize and teach. That's a two-step process that a church makes disciples. Or maybe if you would see it as being a disciple, the two-step process to being a disciple is being baptized and then learning, 
baptized and learning what's being taught. That's a two-step process. He's like, that can't be it. That's too simple. Well, what about worship? What about communion? What about kids' ministry? Well, what about, what about coffee and donuts? What, what, what about giving uh, financially? Well, what about all these? What about Bible study? What about prayer? Yes. All of those things are what happen inside of a Christian who has been baptized and they listen and do what is being taught from the Bible. So this is, it's a simple two-step process for making a disciple. Being baptized, thank you, Nick, for being the example for us today, and then learning, or for a church, baptizing, and then teaching their Christian. What about missions? Yes. But that comes from a church being taught the Bible and some people being convicted in their heart by God's Holy Spirit and they want to be sent around the world. Uh, the, our purpose as a church is these two things, to baptize and to disciple Christians. Every single ministry at, at, that we do at Grace Community Church all comes from these two things, from a person being baptized and then teaching them the Bible, and them reacting, them learning, and doing what they know from God's word. That's, that's, why, that's why husbands are sacrificial to their wives, not because they're browbeaten, because they've been taught it from the Bible. That's why wives fit into the spiritual leadership of her husband at home, not because they've been paid to do it, but because they've been taught it from the Bible. That's why, that's why we have uh, men uh, teaching younger men and women teaching younger women. It, it's because they've been taught that that's their role from Scripture. Why do we have people that give financially, sacrificially? Because they've been taught the Bible that God is the one who gives everything to them, that they are merely stewards of all of God's riches, that God gave them what they want. God doesn't need what they have. God gave them what they had. They, they have God's stuff. And so they learn these things from the, from the Bible. The reason that we have people teaching in kids' ministry is because it's not because we need it. It's because people have been taught that they have spiritual gifts, that, that when a person is saved, when they are born again, God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them, and they have gifts, abilities that only come to them from God's Holy Spirit. And so they, they want to enact those. The purpose of those is to encourage and help within the church body, within the us of the us. And so that's why people come and they serve in ministry, not because they, they've been paid a million dollars, but because they've been taught the Bible. This is the process for making a disciple, baptizing them and teaching them. Or from, from us as disciples' point of view, from being baptized and then learning and doing everything that we're being taught from the Bible. But let's look at these two, these two aspects. First, we're going to start with the first one, um, baptism, baptism. You might wonder, what is baptism? What, what is it? Some people have speculated that baptism is uh, a pious religious act invented by some clergymen in the dark ages just so that there's something to do religiously, you know, like we have to do something religiously, and so let's just shove people underwater. That sounds fun. That sounds like something we could do. But that's not what baptism is. Baptism is a public announcement that you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not ashamed of it. That's what it is. It's a public announcement that you are a disciple, that you are a follower of Jesus, and you are not ashamed of it. This isn't some pious act that was just invented in the dark ages so that we had something, to, had something to do. Christians were baptized even before Jesus made this statement in the book of Matthew, which is Jesus now, he like solidifies it. He puts it in ink. He says, okay, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, the very first step of being a follower, a disciple of Jesus, is not more Bible study, is not deeper prayer, is not going on a missions trip or serving in park class. Those things are good. Don't, please don't get me wrong. Those things are good, but that's not the first step. So that would be a part of the learning step. The first step is being baptized.
baptized. Over 2,000 years of church history, there has never been any argument among anybody that Jesus said it and that Christians are obligated to do it. No argument about that at all. Now, there are lots of arguments about a lot of other things about baptism. There are arguments about how it should be done, uh, when it should be done in a person's life, who should be doing the baptizing, or even what it means. But there has been no question, no doubt, in any scholar's mind, in anybody's mind, that Jesus said it, and Christians are obligated to do it. And so I have five things that I want you to know about baptism. Uh, I could have picked 20, I could have picked 30, but you know, you want to go home and see the Dodger game at one o'clock today. So um, we'll, we'll get you out of here before that. Okay, five things that I want you to know about baptism. The word bap- baptism is the word baptizo, baptizo Greek word, 126 times in the New Testament. So we see it a, a lot in the New Testament. So here are just five of the 126 things that I want you to know. First, not all baptisms are Christian baptisms. When you read the Bible, every time you see the word baptizo or baptize doesn't necessarily mean it's referring to what we saw Nick do this morning. Every time we see the word baptize doesn't mean this. Let me give you some examples. Remember John the Baptist? Well, yeah, John the Baptist was baptizing people. It's in his last name. Come on. And so in Mark 1, it says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. This is not Christian baptism. This is the baptism of repentance. That's a whole other sermon for another, another day on all exactly what that is and was, but it's not Christian baptism. It was something different. And then Jesus, Jesus says that he was baptized, but I can promise you this is a baptism that you do not want to experience. In Mark 10, 38, Jesus says this, and Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? This is the baptism of suffering that Jesus experienced. This isn't water baptism that Jesus is talking about. It's another type of baptism. We can talk about other kinds, but let's talk about the one that everybody is familiar with, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 talks about John baptizing with water. Aha, yeah, that's the, that is, that's, that's this water, okay? But he says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is another kind of baptism. It's not talking about water baptism. It's not talking about Christian baptism. It's talking about the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All of these things are called baptism, but they're not all Christian baptism. You're wondering, I already know that. Who really cares? It's important for you to know this because sometimes people will read scripture and they'll see the word baptizo, they'll see the word baptize, and they'll try to cram everything in that verse into the baptismal. Everything that it means, everything that it does, everything that it's talking about in that verse, they try to put in here. But it's not for here, it's for another thing at another time. I'll give you an example of of that. Romans chapter 6 is often quoted uh, by the person doing baptism when a person is baptized. Now what's interesting about Romans 6 is that there is no water in the chapter there's no water here but it is quoted at a person's water baptism as a christian now this isn't referring to water baptism it's referring to other baptisms so romans 6 says or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death? We're not talking about water baptism after a person is Christ, a Christian. We're talking about another kind of baptism. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. All of that is true. All of it is wonderful. All of that is God's grace in our life. It's just not water 
baptism. It's not Christian baptism. So I just want you to know that not all baptisms in the Bible are Christian baptisms. And that's important to know because, man, our uh, understanding of baptism can get really skewed when we start tying, like, baptism of the Holy Spirit with water baptism, putting those two things don't go together. They're at different times. If we start putting them, them, them together, all of a sudden, we've got to be in here to be saved, and now we've got all sorts of problems. Okay? So not all baptisms are Christian baptisms. This is important because Jesus says the first step of discipleship is baptism, so we should know about it. Second thing that I want you to know about Christian baptism, it does not provide for salvation, and it does not complete it or finish it or cherry on, on, on top it. There's this idea going around in religiosity, kind of from one major source, but it kind of just goes around religiosity that if I, as long as I'm baptized, I'm good, right? As long as I'm baptized, I'm going to heaven. Sometimes people find out I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, no, here we go. So they got to explain to me why they're going to heaven, okay? And so they say, oh, yeah, I was baptized when I was, uh, you know, infant. Good for you, okay. Um, The idea is that as long as I've been dunked or sprinkled, then I'm good. I'm going to heaven but baptism does not provide salvation. We know this from a lot of scripture, and I just, all, let me just pick one. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it, meaning sa- salvation, is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. No one can say to you, look what I did to be saved. And so when someone says, look, I got baptized, and so now I'm going to heaven, that all of a sudden turned into a work. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You see, salvation does not come from something that we do, that we we, uh, walk somewhere, do something, get wet somewhere, get dry somewhere, eat this, don't do that. That's not how a person is saved. It's simply by faith. It's putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus being God in the flesh, the one who's died on the cross for the sins for you. You can't do it on your own. You can't rescue yourself. Hey, you can't make yourself holy enough in front of a righteous judge, God the Father. And so someone from the outside, someone else has to step in and do that for us or else we're all destined for eternity and hell forever. Praise God that Jesus was that, that person. Now, it's right at this point in time where someone says, well, but what about the time when I was baptized as an infant what about that time are you saying that that wasn't important are you saying that that wasn't uh, that wasn't my baptism day if you were baptized as a child this is what this tells me your family loves you very much your mom and dad wanted nothing but the best for you they 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 cared about you so much that they did something maybe that they maybe they had never done it or maybe they had done it and they wanted you to do it too it was a wonderful day but jesus would say that's just not your christian baptism yeah that was a baptism <laughs> it actually happened it it was uh, it was a wonderful day you might have pictures from it your family remembers it as being a wonderful you probably had a nice nice dress that they put on you as a baby or a nice uh, little uh, man suit picked you on as a baby and you got baptized that day. It, it was a wonderful day, but it's just not your Christian baptism. Because rem- remember the definition of, of what baptism is. Baptism is a public announcement that, I, that I'm a disciple of Jesus. It's announcing that you are a follower of Jesus and you're not ashamed of it. That's what it is. And so it's, it has to come after you put your faith and trust in, in Jesus. It, ha- it has to happen in that, in that order. It can't come, your baptism can't come before you're saved because you're not a follower yet, right? It just makes sense. It just makes sense that that, that is the way that it is now. There's kind of another group of people in this range that say, no, 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 I, I know that baptism doesn't um, provide salvation. I get that part. Um, but the Bible does seem to say 
that you need to have, you need to be born again, put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you need to be baptized. That those two things combined make you saved. Well, let me show you where that comes from. That comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And once you read this, you might be convinced of that yourself. Peter said to them, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, look at that. This is Peter, the apostle. He says, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, the, the issue in this verse, the confusing aspect of this verse is the word for. And so that's why I highlighted it, read for you, for, just so you can kind of see that that's what the that's what our issue is in this verse, four. Now, four can be understood multiple ways, but I'm just going to give you two ways that the word four could be understood. One, it could be understood in order to get, in order to get, four, in order to get, or it could mean because of, because of, as a result of. Those are the two ways that you could understand that word four. Let me put it in a whole different realm just so you can kind of think about it for a minute. So let's say you have really bad headaches go to the doctor and the doctor says take two aspirin for your headache when the doctor says take two aspirin for your headache what is he saying is he saying take two aspirin in order to get your headache or is he saying take two aspirin because you have a headache which one is it Take two aspirin in order to get your headache, or take two aspirin because you have the headache. Which one is it? You tell me. Because. Okay, so you get this idea that there's multiple ways to understand the word for. So now let's get back to our verse here. So Peter, the apostle, says repent. Turn around. Change your mind about who Jesus is. Put your faith and trust in Jesus, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It's Peter saying, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus in order to get the forgiveness of your sins? No. He's saying, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus because of the forgiveness of your sins. That is the way to understand this. Repent, put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're born again. And then now, get baptized because your sins have been forgiven. That's the order. Sometimes it can kind of be confusing if we don't understand that verse. So, secondly, Christian baptism does not provide for salvation. Thirdly, Christian baptism always follows salvation. Christian baptism always follows salvation. First you're saved, and then you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God's grace is upon you. Your Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And after that, then, you say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a disciple. I'm going to be a close follower of his. Remember, the definition of Christian baptism is a public announcement that you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus, and you're not ashamed of it. And so you have to do one before the other. One has to come first then the other. The Jews did it like this, and in Acts chapter 2, we just read Acts 2 and Peter and all of this. That's the order. First, you repent. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then you're baptized. So it happened that way with the Jews, and then it happened that way with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were kind of like halvesies, half Jew, half Gentile, and so in Acts chapter 8, that's how they were saved. First, they were saved, born again, and then they got baptized. And then the Gentiles start getting saved. The Jews had no idea that this was even possible. Can, can a Gentile even have this thing, this born again thing, this salvation thing? They weren't quite sure of it. I just kind of want to show you kind of a funny situation in Acts 10 when the Gentiles, when they start getting saved. So, so surely... No one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They were saying, I don't know if we, sh should we baptize a Gentile? 
Is, should we do it? I, I, we had no idea this could even happen. And so he says, well, I mean, they're born again, like us. They, they have the Holy Spirit like us, and so I guess we should baptize them. But notice the order. First, the Gentiles get saved, and then they are baptized. That is the order. And so Christian baptism always follows salvation. And so if you were baptized as a child, that's a wonderful thing. Your parents wanted nothing but the best for you. That just wasn't your your Christian baptism. And so if if you were baptized as an infant and and now here you are, you know, 40 years after that and and you haven't been baptized since, but you know you're going to heaven, you know you're born again, then your next step is to be baptized. No matter what your age, no matter what is going on in your life, that is your <laughs> next step. You're like, oh, that'd be so embarrassing. I've, I've been a part of Grace Community Church for a long, long time. Still, that is your next step because all authority has been given to Jesus by God the Father to make these instructions. First, you're baptized, and then you're a learner. Those are the two steps. Next thing I want you to know about Christian baptism, it is by immersion. This is a very hotly debated topic. Uh, If you're up for it, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. This is a very interesting little story. This little story is is what has determined how we do things here at Grace Community Church or why we do the things that we do here at Grace Community Church. It seems in the New Testament that when a person got saved, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus, they they were born again, it seems that that person knew about baptism even before they got saved. That in, in some way, when Peter or whoever was sharing the, the message of the gospel, somewhere along the way, they told them something about this thing called baptism. Remember, Peter had this sermon, really short sermon, thousands of people got baptized. Maybe I should preach a sermon like that, and then we could have thousands of people baptized. But Short sermon, thousands of people baptized the same day that he preached the sermon. Now, how, how did they know? Well, they knew something was coming. I think a lot of it had to do with, particularly in the first century, when you got born again, there was a huge tendency to just want to keep it completely quiet, you know? (laughs) I don't want to tell anybody because the culture was in several areas, because we just went through seven different churches, several areas, there was severe persecution for people who were Christians. And so... Yeah, you might believe it, but you're not telling anybody. <laughs> and so Peter, whoever is sharing the gospel, says, hey, just to let you know that if you make this decision for Jesus, <laughs> baptism is coming, and it's a public announcement saying that you're a follower of Jesus and that you're not ashamed of him, and so <laughs> you better make this, this is a serious decision, you know? And so people knew about baptism even before they got saved. Here's one example of that, Acts chapter 8. I'm getting to the immersion part. I, I, I know that that's the, the topic, but, but look at uh, Acts 8, uh, verse 36. I'll cut this story a little short, but Philip is writing with a guy who just got saved. Just got saved. As a matter of fact, he's not even sure if he's saved yet. It says, and they, meaning this man, this eunuch, and Philip, And they went along the road and came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? (laughs) And and Philip is like, "Um, Are you you even saved yet? (laughs) That's what he says next. And Philip said, "Uh, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, Well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Philip's like, Okay. Stop the cart right now. We're going to go get it, get it done right now. <laughs> so how did this guy know that he should be looking out for water right after he gets saved? Well, because Philip, somewhere along the line, had said, hey, just so you know, 
this is going to end up in a public announcement that you're not ashamed of being a follower of Jesus, so make this decision closely. And the guy does, puts his faith and trust in Jesus, notices some, notices some water, and says, what prevents me? And Philip says, well, nothing now. Let's go get baptized. So notice how they do this. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him, and they came up out of the water. So the fourth thing that I want you to know is Christian baptism is by immersion. Baptizo, immersion. Now, I realize that this is a big sticky point uh, in Christianity. It's by immersion. Now, how come some baptize with sprinkling, you know, and some gurgle, gurgle, gurgle? Why, why is it like that? Well, 600 years ago, when the Bible is being translated into English, the scholars, they know they're Greek, and they get to this baptizo word 126 times in the New Testament. They get to it, and they know what it means, they know it means immerse, like, like taking a, a garment and, and putting it in dye, you know, and letting the dye just color it. And then when you pull it out, the garment is now a new color, dyed in the wool, you know. That, that's what baptizo means, to, to be so immersed that you've taken on whatever you were immersed in, immersed. And so the Greek scholars know what baptizo means, but the problem is, is that the church at the time was sprinkling. And so like, oh my goodness, we're not looking for a fight today. I mean, they want to, it's Friday at five o'clock, they want to get home to their kids. So they're not looking for a fight here. And so they're, okay, how do we handle baptizo? How do we handle immersion? They had a couple options. They could have written immersion and dealt with the flack from the church. They could have written sprinkle and known in their own heart that they were wrong. They did neither one of those two things. They said, you know what we'll do? We'll just write the word baptize and let them decide. <laughs> and that's what's been happening ever since. For the last 600 years, the churches have been deciding what they want to do regarding this word of baptism because the word is baptize, not immerse. But of course, that's the word. That's baptizo, is immerse, to go down into and to come back out of. And that's exactly what Philip and the eunuch did. They went down into, if you're going to sprinkle, if Philip was going to sprinkle the eunuch, he just had to walk up to the side of the water and just, you know, just, you know, one, two, three, get a good one. That's all he had to do. Nobody had to go down into the water. Nobody had to come back up out of the water. But Christian baptism is by immersion. Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. And the last aspect to this that I want you to know is that Christian baptism symbolizes the Trinity. It symbolizes the Trinity. You go back to Matthew 28, 19. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, that's Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the, of the Trinity. This is known as trine immersion. So if you decide to be a member here at Grace Community Church, we say, have you been baptized? You've been baptized single immersion or trine immersion? We, if you want to become a member at Grace, we accept either type of baptism. That's fine. But Trine immersion is what is being dis Jesus is discussing in Matthew 28. And when I say trine, I mean in the name of the Father, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. In the name of the Son, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. In the name of the Holy Spirit, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Trine immersion, three, three dunks. See, most people believe that, that baptism is symbolic of the washing away of sin, like how, how salvation happened. But I remind you every time we see a baptism that that's not what this is. That what we see here, what we saw with Nick, is not how he got baptized, but who, or how he got saved, but who saved him. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
All three played a part in his salvation. And interestingly, all three here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are going to be a part of his discipleship, a part of his learning and doing everything that is in the Bible. Trine immersion. Did you know for the first thousand years, this is the only way the church baptized people? Trine immersion? You go back to 70 AD, the Didache was written. The Didache is... Um, is a unique, it, it was like a user manual for the very first churches, and it's, it's not scripture, it's not the Bible, but it is, it, it, it should, we take it with some weight, because it was written during the apostolic times, and the Didache was all about trying immersion, in the second century, Justin Martyr, in the 100 AD's, trying immersion, Tertullian, trying immersion, you get to this, the third century, Clement, trine immersion. Origen, trine immersion from 105 to 225 in the 4th century. Augustine, trine immersion. You get to the 5th century, Leo the Great, trine immersion. You get to the 6th century, uh, Pope Gregory the Great, uh, the Trullian Synod, trine immersion. It's trine immersion for the first thousand years. The first time that we see trine immersion, not in the church, but just somebody baptizing in a, a single immersion way, is by a guy named Arius in the 4th century, and he denied the Trinity. And so trine immersion <laughs> for the first thousand years was the way that it was done. E- even those, even those who, who baptize in sprinkling today, uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, sprinkles, um, uh, Me- Methodists will sprinkle, uh, some uh, Presbyterians will sprinkle. Uh, Greek, Greek Orthodox, they know they're Greek. They sprinkle, but they all sprinkle three sprinkles. Why is that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They know what this says. Right? It's always been trine immersion. Okay, so those are the five things that I want you to know about baptism, but most of you are already baptized. Most, most of you uh, already have done that part. But remember, there's a second aspect to being a disciple. It's not just being baptized and I'm set and I sit back and I just live the easy life. There's a second part of making disciples, and that second step is teaching. Maybe a way for us to say it is the second step of discipleship as a, as a follower of Jesus is learning, is the learning and the doing everything that is in God's word. Not everyone is a teacher, but everyone is a learner. Not everyone teaches, but everyone learns. You know, there are some Sundays I know that, because you come up and tell me that a certain thing that you learn just really cut to the heart. I get it because I was cut first. <laughs> if it hurt me, I'm going to make it hurt for you too. If I had to suffer, you had to suffer through it too. Not everyone's a teacher, but everyone is a learner. We are all learning in this. We are all being discipled by God's word. It is God's word that is, that is the thing that is discipling us. Jesus said uh, something kind of interesting. Um, oh, this, isn't, this, isn't, uh, this isn't Jesus that said this. This is Paul that said this. He says, I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Uh, some translations uh, use the entire counsel of God. So Paul says, here's the way that you make a disciple. You baptize them, and you, then you teach them the entire purpose of God, the entire counsel of God. And, uh, and what a believer is going to do, a born-again Christian who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, they're going to begin to learn it, and it's going to soak into their heart, and they're going to begin to do it. And so then this is what it looks like when a, when a Christian or a church does this in uh, Romans 6. It describes this, but thanks be to God that though you are slaves to sin, and were you a slave to sin? Yes. Every single person here either still is or was a slave to sin. And these are Christians here that you were slave to sin. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And so it was the teaching of the Bible that they began to be obedient to that way that that Bible was taught to them and they were obedient and they were committed to following the the Lord. This is the second step of discipleship, the learning, the being taught the Bible and the learning. You You might have thought that our purpose at Grace Community Church was different than these two things. You might thought that our our purpose of our church was to evangelize 
Well, the purpose of us as a church certainly is to evangelize, but it, there's not like we have like some secret room back behind the Holy of Holies here. And back behind here, we have a group of people that they are the ones who go out and do the evangelizing. And as long as you put some money in, you get to like uh, kind of like uh, attach yourself to what's happening behind the Holy of Holies and evangelism. No. Our purpose is to teach you the, the gospel, to teach you that, that there's a need for you to be a light with your friends, your family, the people that you know, and you go and do it, right? And so our purpose is not to, as, as a teacher, not to do it all, it's to teach you to do it, right? As disciples, we are learners from everything that is in God's word. Maybe you thought that our purpose was kids' ministry. I know some of you come to Grace Community Church just because of our kids' ministry. You don't care about me one bit. <laughs> you just love Miss Janet over there, all the teachers. I don't blame you, so would I. If I could be over there, I would. But our purpose isn't kids' ministry. Our purpose is to teach you that you have spiritual gifts that God has given you. That, that, that we use those gifts for the building up of the body. And that older men teach younger men, and older women teach younger women. And so you put those teachings of Scripture together, and so there are people who say, I want to serve our body. I want to help our church. I want to be a part of this. And God has given me a, a gift, uh, an interest to, to, to serve in this way. And so this is where kids' ministry comes from. Maybe you thought our purpose was to have small groups. No. Our purpose is to teach you that Christian fellowship is important. That having Christian close friendships is necessary to have a successful Christian life. And so then we have these small groups that, that come from that. We don't browbeat anybody to go to them. We don't, we don't force anybody to lead them. We hope that as we teach the Bible, as we teach you the importance of having other brothers or sisters in Christ help you live a life honoring to Jesus, you would desire to be a part of our small group. You can sign up for our small groups anytime. That little tear-off page on our bulletin. This is a commercial little tear-off page in the bulletin. And one of those things you can say, I want to be in a small group, men's small group, women's small group. Th that's why they exist. They exist because we've taught you the Bible, the importance of various aspects of what we do. Maybe you thought it was, well, we're here to feed the hungry. No, my purpose is to teach you to care for those who are hurting, to care for those who are needy. And, and flowing from that, once you learn it and you, you apply it, then there's going to be so many different ways that people are going to live out those things. Why? Because you are a disciple of Jesus. That's why. That's why you would do those things, because you're a follower of Jesus. Now we get to what Jesus says. Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? <laughs> That's a good question. Why would you call me Lord and not do what I say? Now, of course, a disciple wouldn't do that, would they? Who would do that? Who would call Jesus Lord and then not do what he says? Well, someone who aspires to that, but really just hasn't lived up to it. Someone who wishes that they could do it, but they, but they haven't been doing what Jesus says. And so today I want you to be a disciple of Jesus. And I want you to pick what your next step is. If your next step is to be baptized, then let's do it. Let's, let's baptize you. And you're thinking, oh, well, I don't know enough. I don't, I, I don't, I need, I need, I have a few more questions that I have. I have a need a few more answers. I'm just too new in this entire thing. I already told you that there were people who got baptized the same day they got saved. <laughs> and so what's taking you so long, right? We could baptize you second service. We have changing rooms. We have clothing in the back. We could baptize you second service. So once as soon as we're done today, a couple people are going to be standing over here. Go talk to those people, and they could either get you baptized second service, or we could baptize you on, a, on another day. Maybe you'd say, oh, man, it's been way too long. People already think I'm baptized. would be so embarrassed. Well, maybe. Maybe you'd be embarrassed. But that doesn't eliminate the fact that Jesus has all authority, and <laughs> he said that is your next step. We want to baptize you. Maybe you're already baptized. You already know you're going to heaven. Are you learning and are you applying the things that Jesus has said? If not, Jesus would ask you, why? Why not? Because a disciple wouldn't do that. I realize that just the same in our culture as it was way back then, I realize, I, I, I get it, that wh when you make uh, statements for Jesus, you pay a price. At school, high school, you pay a price if you, <laughs> if you stand up in any way. I get it. 
it, it, at work, if you stand up for things that are, are moral, Christians get fired all of the time simply for taking moral stands at work. It happens all the time. There are people in our church right now who that's happened to. So I get it. I, 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 I know why you wouldn't want to. But just like Peter did, just like Philip did, I'm just telling you, when you make this commitment for Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in him, it's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt. You're going to need to be baptized. And that baptism is a public statement saying, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not ashamed of it. But then that means you do what he says. That's what a disciple is. Not just one who's baptized, but one who is learning. Are you learning? Are you do- if you're not doing it, that's just simple. It's sin. It, it breaks your fellowship with God, and he doesn't want you to do it. Confess it to God today before you leave so that, <laughs> so that y- you're not disconnected from him. So maybe somewhere there's an application for you. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. This creates a little separation between you and the person next to you. Um, just for a minute. You don't know where they stand in all of these things. You know where you stand, but you don't know where they stand. And so if you'd like to put your faith and trust in Jesus, if today's that day for you, uh, I want you to be born again. I want you to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. You, you know everything there is to know about Jesus. I've already told you. And so now you just need to talk to him about it. If you want to change your mind about Jesus. You just talk to God about it in the quietness of your own heart. You don't need to say anything out loud. You don't need to come up here and tell me. You don't need to uh, walk anywhere. You just talk to God in the quietness of your own heart, and this is what you could say to him. You could say, dear God, I know that I've sinned, and I know I'm separated from you because of that sin, and I need a savior. I want to be, be rescued from my eternity in hell because of my sin, and so I put my faith in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that he rose from the grave. I, 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 I know this about Jesus, and, and he is the only one that can save me. I put my faith, my trust, my belief in this Jesus. Many of you are already saved, and you're already baptized. Are you living your life for Jesus? Are you a disciple? Are you doing what he says in whatever area? If not, you confess your sin to God. You say, God, I'm sorry. I haven't been following you in this area. I've not been a, a disciple in this area. Just tell him what he is, what it is. He already knows it. (laughs) God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be doing that, or I should be doing it, and I'm not, and I need your help in these areas. Pray that your Holy Spirit would help me to live honorably in this area. So God, we thank you for these messages directly from your son, Jesus Christ, to us that would help us know how to live. God, I pray that you would help us to be a disciple-making church. God, I'd love to baptize. I'd love to baptize someone every single Sunday, every single worship service. And I pray that you would give us any insight or wisdom into ways that we should amend our ways to to allow that to happen. But God, I do pray that we are faithful to you in making disciples here at Grace. And we thank you that you allow us to participate even in that. In Jesus' name.